Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 9.20 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 24th of May, 2022. This is episode 595 of Bitcoin. And God, did you see the patch? Did you see the patch on the World Economic Forum Police? That's right. The World Economic Forum Police is a private police force that is detaining people, civilians, at Davos. And they're, they're, they're private. It's complete paramilitary police force somehow or another that's been given the authority to detain, question, and otherwise harass private citizens at Davos. Yes, the World Economic Forum at Davos is in full freaking swing. And we caught some glimpses of uh, police force. Oh, I guess, was it Cernovich that got detained? It was one of the journalists who was detained and it became evident that he was being detained by the World Economic Forum police force. Now, if that doesn't scare the shit out of you, then you're in a coma. I'm sorry, but you are. You're in a coma or something like that. But aside from the World Economic Forum and their idiocy going on at at Davos, we have one more thing that's going on. That's the Oslo Freedom Forum. And at the Oslo Freedom Forum, which is also in full, full swing, uh, BTC Pay Server has received a $100,000 donation. That's right. BTC Pay Server has received $100,000 in donations from Strike and the Human Rights Foundation. Uh, it says, this grant allows us to continue providing open and free Bitcoin payment software for businesses and individuals, regardless of geographic, political, or financial barriers. LFG. And no, they're not talking about the Luna Foundation Guard. We got to take LFG back and we got to do it right now. So let's fucking go and do that. Now, Joe, <laughs> Joe, Aussie trader Joe has an interesting reply to Fat Man Terra. Fat Man Terra has been keeping track of the uh, lunacy in the Luna and Terra ecosystem following the crash. And I think he was actually covering it up to the crash saying that, no, this isn't going to work and you should probably listen. And of course, nobody did. But so Fat Man, this was yesterday. He says, in the past 48 hours, I have been contacted by several whistleblowers. These people would like to and will stay anonymous. I have learned some deeply troubling things and there is a lot more to come. This is just the very beginning. Here's some of what I can tell you. At StableQuan, I know about the bailout from Jump in May 2021, and I know exactly how much you owe them every month in Luna. Hint, how many zeros in a million? Another one, at Jump underscore. 
I know exactly what you did to manipulate retail into losing billions on UST, but especially Luna. At Kanav Karia, I know who controls you behind the scenes. I know about your Slack group having a 14-day retention window. Here's the kicker. At SBF underscore FTX, that's Sam Bankman fried, ladies and gentlemen. Fat Man says, I know about the 30% serum handshake deal with Jump and what you did to retail investors after. He ends this thread by saying, there is far more that I cannot say, but know that I know and know that justice is coming because this time I think you went too far. Jesus, really? (laughs) This time you got people killed. Someone has to fight for them. If I go, someone will take my place. This is nothing, just the start. Go time. I don't know about anything of what Fat Man's talking about. I don't know anything about Jump. No clue what's going on with Serum. I, I don't know. But Fat Man seems to know. Now, is he being honest? I don't know. Does he really know what he's talking about? Again, I don't know. But he's been on these guys sort of like Bitfinex was on Bitfinex and is, well, actually, he's still on Bitfinex and um, their stablecoin. I don't really follow Bitfinex anymore because he sort of kind of came unglued, you know, sometime last year, but whatever. Um, Fat Man is sort of the same kind of, you know, dog with a bone. You just can't get, get, can't get him to release it. So it'll be interesting to see what goes on. But like I said, Joe has a reply to Fat Man's first tweet. And he's got a graphic uh, that shows all these sins. It, well, I'll just read it to you. Aussie Trader Joe says, I already sent all of the wallet addresses of Luna Foundation to authorities. They never used any of their own BTC to save Luna. It was moved around, tumbled, Quan now has a price on his head. Again, do I know that this is true? No, because I cannot discern just by looking from the graphic if it's all correct. Because I'm not, I am not like, you know, neck deep into what's going on with Luna and Terra, otherwise, you know, other than just kind of sitting back and eating popcorn and watching the fireworks unfold. But this, this one, this was actually. <clears throat> has been theorized by several Bitcoiners in, uh, over the last week and, or two weeks that there was never any Bitcoin actually sold on the open market to save Luna, that basically it was a huge scam so that they could all get $80,000 or 80,000 Bitcoin and that none of those Bitcoin were actually ever sold and they didn't even try to save Luna. So again, it's hard to tell exactly what the hell's going on. But there's some shady shit going down with this Terra Luna stuff. We knew that, but it looks like these guys are going to be on Duquan and his crew like ticks. And if you've ever had a tick, you know how hard the hell it is to get rid of those things. So just keep watching the Luna Terra thing unfold because this... I have theorized this before, and I think that I'm 100% correct. This is going to be like Mt. Gox. It is going to be like Quadriga CX. It's going to go on and on and on. There will be no end to this thing. 
there will be no end to the Terra Luna bullshit. Eventually, it will sort of die off. But if you're expecting to not hear anything about it uh, or see, you know, ramifications or ripple effects, like if you if you think that shit's going to die off in a few weeks, you're sorely mistaken. You're looking at a couple of years minimum. So just be aware and watch these guys. Again, that is at Aussie Trader Joe, all one word, and at Fat Man Terra. That's at Fat Man Terra. You might want to take a look at that, uh, his his Twitter account because he's been keeping track of it. Uh, now, on to the news, or rather the written news. One of the largest real estate developers in Brazil now accepts Bitcoin. From Bitcoin Magazine, Sean Amick is writing, Gafisa, one of the largest Brazilian real estate developers, is now accepting Bitcoin as payment for the purchase of real estate, according to a press release from Foxbit, a cryptocurrency payment gateway provider. Foxbit stated that one of the reasons for Gafisa's Bitcoin integration was the removal of intermediaries. In the real estate market, plenty of entities get a piece of the pie, be it banks, real estate companies, and agents payment processors, or other involved parties, there is no shortage of intermediaries in a real estate transaction. Bitcoin helps lessen the costs of transactions with quick and final settlements while eliminating the risk of fraud. The press release stated that Gafisa's decision to accept Bitcoin was also largely based on the disruptive nature of the technology, which can open opportunities for further innovation in the growing sector. This growth has seen Brazil Uh, become one of the leading countries for the adoption of Bitcoin. Not only does Brazil rank number six in on-chain value transacted in a report by Chainalysis, but Gafisa's houses one out of every 130 Brazilians. That is a high percentage, guys, according to Gafisa data, making this a natural path of progression. Quote, Bitcoin is the largest cryptocurrency in market value and technologically the most ballast currency in history, says Guherme Benavides, CEO of Gafisa. Quote, it is a currency that is growing in popularity every day, also expanding the possibilities of its use. Benavides continued to explain that Bitcoin follows a path of progression and with the digital revolution currently being experienced worldwide, Gafisa feels digital payments will continue to garner an increasingly high level of presence in emerging economies. Quote, there is a natural tendency to digitize payments, Benavides explained. If we stop to think that the central bank will launch the digital real in 2022, we can conclude that, in fact, digital currencies are increasingly present in the world, end quote. Now, central bank digital currencies, you know what I think about them. They are altogether evil, right? The problem is, is just because we can identify the evil doesn't mean that we're going to be able to get rid of it. Am I suggesting that we coexist with it? No, we should fight it tooth and nail into our graves. But what concerns me is, is there enough people that are just tired of being manipulated by central banks who are in turn manipulated by World Economic Forum, International Monetary Fund, the UN, all all the... The, the, the cast of characters, right? The same cast of characters is behind all that shit, which means that really it's the IMF and the World Economic Forum that is manipulating all the peoples of the planet. It's not the central bank of Brazil that's manipulating them. 
because they are in turn being manipulated by all these assholes. And they will continue to be manipulated by them. And they will continue to be forced to put out shit like a central bank digital currency. And it will look like they're, they're, they have to compete with China. You know, all that, that's, all, that's all for show. Nobody in a central bank is like literally sitting on their thumbs waiting to release a, a central bank digital currency because they're trying to compete. No, they probably most likely have a schedule as to when they make their announcements and that schedule is provided to them by Klaus Schwab. Do I have proof? No, I do not. However, I just can't think of any central bank that is not under the thumb by this cast of characters and it's just freaking sad, but not as sad as young investors losing big in crypto crash. Quote, I didn't sleep for days. Now this one's from Jeanette Setaombre from New York Post and she's writing about, well, you know it, the crypto crash. Yes, the 25th one that we've had, whatever. With hopes of being a homeowner, by the time he turned 30, Steve Jensen decided to invest $25,000 in the crypto market in the summer of 2020. It was half of his savings. But since he couldn't afford a 10% down payment on a home in Westchester, he hoped his gamble on the blockchain would expedite the process after seeing friends cash in on crypto to buy real estate. Quote, I knew it was a risk. But I saw so many people making money fast off crypto and thought it would be a good idea to invest. Jensen, now 30 years old, told the New York Post. Jensen, who lives in Washington Heights and works in digital advertising, allocated $15,000 of his initial investment to the cryptocurrency Cardano. When the coin price was nearing $2, he watched its value rise. Quote, it went to $3 and I almost doubled my investment. Then the value stayed at $2 for a few months. I held it, thinking it would just keep going up. Turns out he was wrong. Average young investors like Jensen went all in on crypto in the hopes of quickly making bank, cashing out and buying a home, car, or business, or even retire. It all came crashing down in this month's crypto market bloodbath, losing nearly $2 trillion in value. <laughs> I think that number is actually wrong. With some investors losing everything, that is actually true. As of press time, a Cardano share was going for 55 cents. Jesus Christ, these people don't know anything about this thing. Oh my God, it, I hate Cardano, but it's not a share, okay? It's, it's, they're treating it like it's a company, which Cardano is. But if you back off and you're actually looking at this from, from my perspective, you shouldn't be buying shares, okay? These are tokens. The tokens themselves of Cardano are essentially worthless. It's, you know, Hoskins deal. He was co-founder of Ethereum and then went on to build Cardano, which is just, is just a scam. That's all it is. But again, you're not buying a share, you're buying a token. So come on guys, get your shit together. At press time, Cardano coin was going for 55 cents, making Jensen's investment worth about $3,000. And he's saddled with debt because he borrowed $5,000 against his credit card to invest in more Cardano before the market crashed. Now, a return on his investment seems like a lifetime away. Jensen was left having to explain the market loss to his longtime partner as well as park his plan for buying a car this summer. Quote, I didn't sleep for a couple of days, Jensen said, of watching the price plummet on Cardano and Ethereum this month. I'd wake up with insane anxiety, he added, noting that he felt depressed by the dismal downturn 
of both currencies. Quote, and inflation is making cars and homes even more expensive and harder to get, said Jensen, who has lost a total of $15,000. Not only do I not have profits from Cardano, but I also have more credit card debt, he said, adding that he'll have to put his home buying on pause until he can pay off his debt. Jensen invest, or sorry, still Jensen does see one silver lining. Quote, you'd be at my funeral if I had invested in Luna, he said, referring to the cryptocurrency that lost more than 99% of its value. Some investors were left devastated by the Luna collapse. Quote, my friend and ex-colleague tried to commit suicide this morning. One Reddit user posted earlier this month. He basically moved all of his savings to crypto in 2021, and Luna was a massive player in that portfolio. Another despondent Reddit user said he retired at 20, having made $4.6 million trading off an initial $15,000 investment, only to dump all but $10,000 back into the crypto exchange. Quote, $4.6 million into $500 in a matter of weeks, the former millionaire wrote. I'm not sure if or how I'll recover. I lost everything. Chris Pantelli, 35, planned on using his crypto earnings to help pivot to remote work only. After getting diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at age 33, I knew I would need a less physically demanding job for the years ahead, the UK resident told the Post. He had planned to sell his family-owned fish and chips business and use crypto earnings to stay afloat as he got his personal finance tracker, lifeupsweeten.com, off the ground. Quote, the income is less stable than my previous work, and while still very good, I am also spending a lot to grow it, said Pantelli, who is still looking for a buyer for his brick-and-mortar shop. But with the crash, he ended up down more than $6,000 on his investments in strong Bitcoin and Ethereum, a significant amount of his savings. Quote, I kept thinking, this has to stop bleeding at some point, right? Right? Pantelli said, noting that his crypto investments now equal only $2,000. Others are luckier. Rachel Siegel, 29, a former substitute teacher who became a crypto millionaire, started investing in 2017 with just $25 a week. The crypto influencer from the Lower East Side, who says her investments have resulted in profits in the low seven figures, didn't get crushed in the crypto crash, but she did lose on Luna. Quote, I had $3,000 uh, turn into less than a penny. I know people who had millions of dollars turn into 2000 It was devastating, Siegel told the Post. And Siegel, who's primarily in Bitcoin and Ethereum, conceded from the top of the market, I have lost a lot of money. She stressed the importance of diversifying one's portfolio. Jesus. A lesson she says she'll keep preaching to her nearly 200,000 social media followers. Quote, I'm intelligent enough in my investments to know not to have too much money in one place, she said. Jensen, meanwhile, hopes to ride out the downturn. Quote, I'm trying to have more of a long-term vision than a shorter one. If I cash out now and tomorrow the price skyrockets, that's just even worse than watching the price go down in the first place. Okay, this Jensen cat who borrowed, used his credit card to buy $5,000 on credit of fucking Cardano. I'm sorry. I don't have, I have, I have no sympathy for you. I just don't anymore. You know, all the Bitcoin maximalists have been screaming the exact same thing year after year after year, and everybody just points at us and laughs, and we're always fucking right. Don't mortgage your house 
for crypto. And also, don't mortgage your house for Bitcoin. Okay, that's just stupid. I, I, I have seen a lot of people that I really respect saying, now's the time to borrow money to go buy Bitcoin. Yeah, really? I, I just don't see it. How come you can't just DCA in with money that you actually own? If you're gonna risk anything, at least risk that because at least there's not an interest payment attached to it. You know, if you own a home or the better part of a home, don't cash it in and get like, you know, like some kind of like refi or something like that so that you can go buy Bitcoin. And God forbid, don't do it with anything else because nothing else comes close to the solidity that Bitcoin has as an entire ecosystem. So I would like to have some kind of sympathy, but my sympathy tank ran dry the last time this shit happened. I got nothing left for these people. Don't be stupid. Now, Central African Republic to launch Bitcoin crypto hub. Why people just don't learn. This is Bitcoin magazine. Namcios is writing it. The Central African Republic, the second country in the world to adopt Bitcoin as a legal currency after El Salvador, plans to develop a hub to attract cryptocurrency businesses and enthusiasts to the nation. The initiative, coined Sango, was started by the CAR National Assembly with support by President Faustin Ankage Taurad per a 24-page document detailing the project's goals. Sango seeks to pave the way to a digital future of endless possibilities. That's marketing per its webpage. He tweeted in support of Sango on Tuesday. In addition to building a legal Bitcoin and cryptocurrency hub recognized by its parliament, Sango aims to take the Bitcoin legacy to the next level and institute a cryptocurrency economic zone in the Sango Island where users will be able to propose, view, and contribute to its future developments. According to the document, CAR's plan includes facilitating land acquisition and Bitcoin for investors worldwide and creating a digital national bank. The government said in the document that it will also fully support access to the country's natural resources such as gold, diamonds, uranium, lithium, and oil. Sango's legal framework will include an e-residency program, citizenship by investment, online business registration, and no income or corporate tax per the document. Carr plans to devise this dedicated legal framework before the end of this year. The document also mentions the creation of a Bitcoin wallet to send, receive, and store BTC that will be compatible with the Lightning Network, Bitcoin's second layer protocol for cheaper and faster payments. The wallet will also be compatible with point of sale for businesses to accept Bitcoin payments and feature an integrated accounting system. Carr also plans to finalize the Central African backbone internet interconnection before the end of the year to power its entire digital transformation, it said in the document. Carr last month became the second country in the world to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender after El Salvador pioneered in the global scene with its Bitcoin law in September of 2021. The Sango Hub News comes to bring foreign investors to the country, likely in an attempt to further develop a nation that has one of the lowest gross domestic products, according to World Bank data. Yeah, well, World Bank can go suck a bag of dicks, honestly. But still, they're probably not wrong about CAR not <laughs> having a good GDP. 
the whole cryptocurrency thing is on all of our nerves and it just seems to never go away. It doesn't matter how much you crush the markets because we're getting crushed right now. We'll do that when we run the numbers. <clears throat> it doesn't matter how much more shit coins bleed than Bitcoin. It's like people just continuously ape in to the shittiest, crappiest projects that they can find. And it just, it's unnerving to watch it occur. It's also unnerving to watch Russia screw up. Okay, look, if you hate Russia, I get it. But Russia's a thing, all right? So David Attlee tells us what how they're screwing Bitcoin up in this piece by Cointelegraph. Russia's updated crypto mining bill cuts tax amnesty for Bitcoin miners. In less than a month, the draft of a crypto mining bill in the Russian parliament has lost several key points, such as the obligation for mining operators to join a special registry, that's good, and a one-year tax amnesty for all those who have registered. As the reasoning goes, the previous draft would lead to federal budget losses. The fresh draft of the law, quote, on mining in Bitcoin Federation, end quote, dating to May the 20th, appeared in the database of the lower chamber of the Russian parliament, the state Duma. The document bears several significant changes from the past version presented by co-sponsors back on April the 29th. While the text remains unchanged in general, the new draft lacks the subsection about a registry of mining operators which companies would have to join in order to continue their work. In the latest version to start mining, crypto mining firms should register as a sole proprietor or self-employed. The companies would follow a standard procedure for corporate registration. Another correction swept away the promise of tax amnesty during the first year of registration. The grace period was going to be applied to the customs clearing of mining hardware, all profits made before the passing of the law, and the possible violations of strict limits of money transfers abroad that were adopted by the Russian government on March the 8th. As cited by local media in its review of the draft, the legal department of Duma criticized the initiatives of registry and tax amnesty, stating that they could possibly incur cost on the federal budget. On April the 7th, the head of the state Duma's Financial Markets Committee, Anatoly Askakov, revealed that the amendments to the federal tax code regarding crypto are expected to pass by the end of the summer parliamentary season. It is unknown if they would include any specifications regarding mining. Uh, so part of it's good insofar as that you don't have to have a registry, but the one-year tax amnesty was going to be something that, you know, would definitely attract people to the Russian Federation. And they were going to need that, honestly, because of, you know, Russia's, the way that Russia looks to the world right now. And I won't get into it. I'm not. I'm just, I'm, I'm just not. It's not my war. I don't care. I, I just don't. So that tax amnesty, because what I, what I liked about it is it was structured that it wasn't going to be a rug pull like they did in Kazakhstan, where they're like, oh yeah, you'll never pay taxes. Oh, after, you know, a year, actually it was actually, I think it was actually six months or nine months later after the crypto mining ban or the China mining ban, uh, they pulled that rug. And it was at least this one, they would have a date. They would say, okay, well, I started mining here. I've got one year to take advantage of the tax amnesty. I can work that into my budget. I can, I can work with those numbers. And now that it's gone, the, there's not that much attraction to going to the Russian Federation. So we'll just have to see how that plays out. Oh, God. <clears throat> do we really want to do this one? Yeah, might as well. Coindesk. 
Coinbase-led travel rule group grows members and expands to Canada as well as Singapore. Ian Allison is writing it. The Travel Rule Universal Solution Technology, or Trust, originally a group of five U.S. companies building an anti-money laundering system for cryptocurrency transactions, has grown its membership to over 30 firms and expanded its jurisdictional footprint to include Canada and Singapore. Trust, originally kickstarted by crypto exchange Coinbase, which is not your friend, with help from BitGo, Gemini, Kraken, and Fidelity, emerged from stealth mode a year ago, at which time it went by the less catchily titled U.S. Travel Rule Working Group. Since officially launching, Trust has gone live in Canada and Singapore and is actively working to expand to other global jurisdictions, including Germany and other countries in the European Union, according to the press release. The original founding membership has now swollen to over 30, including heavyweights like Binance US, Circle, Robinhood, Paxos. Having started out, uh, started out supporting just Bitcoin and Shitcoin One transactions, Trust now allows the integration of all Shitcoin slash 20 tokens. Yeah, that's ERC. 20 tokens, a spokesperson confirmed by email. The crypto industry was given AML marching orders from the Financial Action Task Force back in mid-2019. They're being told what to do. And you get to pay for it, by the way. Requiring virtual asset service providers such as exchanges, trading desks, and custodians transfer personally identifiable information along with crypto transactions over a certain threshold. I will not be taking part of that because they're going to come after lightning and I'm not going to take part of that. I'm just not. I will continue to operate my lightning node. I will not be collecting anybody's personal information because I don't want it. I don't care about it. And I'm not going to be a stooge for the fucking IMF. It's just not going to happen. Since then, a number of proposed solutions and consortia of efforts have been tabled as well as a messaging content data standard for digital asset transactions. Quote, there's no doubt in my mind that there will be multiple travel rule solution networks that will emerge and probably there will be some interoperability of sorts that need to be figured out between trust and other solutions, said Canada-based crypto custodian Balance CEO George Bodanu in an interview adding, quote, but by and large, it seems like trust will be the predominant one. So this is where we have to put our time and effort. No, you don't. You actually don't. Trust works by guaranteeing no central storage of customers' personal data. That's bullshit. While using a system of digital signatures between VASPs to ensure the correct address is being used in bilateral data sharing channels, which I will never take part of. Speaking about joining trust... John Menino, Chief Compliance Officer at S. Fox, which is regulated in the U.S. and Singapore, compared the crypto industry's problem-solving response to the growing pains of financial derivatives markets, of course. Quote, during the growth of derivatives, we had sort of similar situations involving industry-wide problems, he said in an interview. Rather than each company going off and trying to solve this problem independently, when we come together, we can solve it once and then everybody can use it. End quote. The current list of trust members include. Now, okay, th- I'm going to read the, the trust members. You should interpret this as the names of the enemies of Bitcoin. Again, I'm about to read you the 30 names of the enemies of Bitcoin. Amber Group, Anchorage, Balance, Binance US, BitGo, 
Bitflyer, Bitrix, BlockFi, BlockPal, CakeDefi, Circle, Coinbase, CoinHacko, CoinSmart, CoinSquare, Crypto.com, Custodia, Fidelity, Digital Assets, SM, Gemini, Kraken, Netcoins, Nexos, or Nexo, Paxos, Robinhood, SFOX, ShakePay, fucking assholes, Standard Custody and Trust, SimBridge, Tetra Trust, TradeStation, Unbanked, Virgo CX, Voyager, Wealthsimple, Zero Hash, and Zodiac Custody. Those are all enemies of Bitcoin. I'm very sad to see Kraken in this list. You know, I just am. All the rest of them can go get their, can go, you know, eat a bag of dicks. But Kraken, I had high hopes for Jesse Powell not turning into a complete puppet. But here we are. Now we need to run the numbers. Flammable liquid's not doing a whole lot. Uh, West Texas Intermediate is up scant, and so it basically remains at $110.27. Brent North Sea is up a quarter of a point to $113.67. Natural gas is down uh, a third of a point to $8.71 per thousand. Gasoline, however, has dropped 2.8%, so it's coming in at $3.69. Uh, shiny metal rocks are mixed gold to the upside, almost at full point to $1,863 and 70 cents. Silver is up one and a half points to $22 and five cents. Platinum is down two thirds of a point. Copper is down over a full point. Palladium is up half a point. All agricultural futures are down and the biggest loser of the day is going to be corn. Of course, 1.37% to the downside. Wheat, likewise, down 1.24%. Everything else, meh, it's all down. Cotton uh, is down 0.8%. Let's see here. Dow, down 1.3%. Ooh, that's got to hurt. They had such a good day yesterday. Mm, Guess the plunge protection team didn't get out of bed. S&P down 2.14%. NASDAQ down 3.2%. S&P mini is down 2.3%. God, that's after yesterday, that's got to be a kick in the sack, honestly. Uh, Bitcoin likewise having problems, $28,967 with 808,000 BTC being sent in the last 24 hour period. That's 33,000 BTC every hour on the hour. Average transaction value is 3.16 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.02 BTC or just under 600 bucks. Block times, 10 minutes, 17 seconds. 0.09 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. Almost 14 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And hash rate after a 17.89% jump is chilling out at 234.5 exahashes per second. (laughs) <laughs> Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator is 8.1 United States pennies. There are 12,870 transactions awaiting six blocks to clear. We have a $550.3 billion market cap, which is 4.5% of gold's entire market cap. And we can buy even less, less shiny metal rock. We can only now purchase 15.5 ounces of shiny metal rocks 
with our one Bitcoin of which there are 19,048,110.93 of and 3,899 and a half of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $112.6 million being run over 17,080 nodes sporting 83,812 payment channels that we can see and 72.6% of all of it is basically being run over towards 11,963 Lightning Network nodes that we know about. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. And I told y'all months ago that the following was going to happen. I told you that Martin Shkreli was going to get out of prison and he was going to immediately turn into a quote unquote crypto influencer. And it has happened. Pharma bro, Martin Shkreli, Ethereum's Vitalik Buterin is brilliant, but also full of shit. Kate Irwin tells us more from Decrypt.co. Pharma bro, Martin Shkreli has gone full crypto bro and he's got plenty of hot takes. In a Twitter space on Monday, Shkreli critiqued Ethereum founder Vitalik Buterin, bashed NFTs, and went off on the shitcoin retards who recently launched an altcoin in his honor. <laughs> Shkreli, the former head of Turing Pharmaceuticals, earned the moniker Pharma Bro after notoriously raising the price of the toxoplasmosis drug Diaprim by 5,000%. He was convicted of securities fraud back in 2017, and he's been quite busy since his early release from prison on May the 18th. Over the weekend, he claimed that he learned to trade on the decentralized exchange Uniswap while in prison. <laughs> that does not bode well. He further claimed today that he received unspecified perks in prison in exchange for giving prison guards advice on Bitcoin. Now that he's out, there's been reports that the felon is already back on Bumble and on his Bloomberg terminal. He is also seemingly immersed in crypto with no shortage of opinions about the industry and its technology. He said today during the Twitter space that he does not believe in Vitalik Buterin's concept of the blockchain trilemma, the idea that blockchain networks must make trade-offs when attempting to achieve security, scalability, and decentralization simultaneously. Quote, I guess he's mad at me because I think he's full of shit that, you know, it's sort of been proven that there is no blockchain trilemma, Shkreli said, claiming that Algorand founder Silvio Michelli proved that the trilemma was a mathematically weak idea. Quote, no offense to Vitalik, though. He was brilliant, Shkreli added. And Shkreli appears to have already built up a fan base in crypto. Just days ago, the Shkreli Inu token, named after the former hedge fund manager, launched on Ethereum. Roughly $1 million worth of the token has been traded on the Uniswap platform over the last 24 hours per data from Nomics. Shkreli claimed today that he received half of the Shkreli Inu supply, but said he didn't create it. As for his thoughts on NFTs and Web3, Shkreli said that he's interested, but not impressed. He referred to generative NFT collections of 10,000 items, such as crypto punks and bored apes, as retarded and said that the Web3 is just a buzzword. It means nothing, Shkreli said. He went on to defend his beliefs about pharmaceutical pricing, arguing that high prices are morally acceptable in part because most Americans have health insurance. Quote, I don't really give a fuck, Shkreli said of his past behavior raising drug prices. All right, so here's, here's the problem. He actually sounds like he's... Uh, 
he kind of knows what he's talking about. You know, he's bashing NFTs. He's calling the altcoin space just a bunch of retarded bullshit. That sounds like something you can get behind, huh? Don't. You know why? Because he's going to flip. This is playbook. This is textbook playbook on how to enter the crypto space as somebody who already has notoriety in the media. You talk good about Bitcoin, you bash what the maxis are bashing, and then you get your following and then you flip. And he will be a shit coiner. I guarantee it. I'm, I'm gonna project it two months from now, he will go full shit coin and he will make friends with Raul Paul. He will do all the things that the shit coiners do. He will spin up his own coin. He will make friends with Richard Hart Wynn. I guarantee it. The man, this man is a scumbag. There is no reason for you to believe anything he says, even if it's something that you want to hear. He doesn't give a fuck about you. I guarantee it because he didn't give a fuck about anybody that was having to pay through the roof for not only Doxaprim, but a whole host of other shit that was like, you know, you get a dose of like, I don't know, something that was going to save your ass for five bucks. And all of a sudden it cost 350. Now he's said that he was like, well, you know, all these people have health insurance. Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't. And guess what? They have these same maladies. And they need those they need those pharmaceuticals to, oh, I don't know, not cost, you know, a week's worth of groceries. Yeah, I'm just saying. So he doesn't care about them. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about Bitcoin. He does care about altcoins. He does care about shitcoining. He will go there. I guarantee it. Just just watch. Now, speaking of watching, the Peter McCormick. Craig Wright trial started yesterday. This is the defamation case that kind of, I mean, it was right after Hodala not got uh, served with a summons from Antia LLP, which is Craig Wright's spun up law firm to represent him in all matters of his bullshit and pretty much nobody else. I don't think Antia actually has any other clients, but that's another story. Um, We've got a report from the first day of the trial that occurred yesterday, okay? And there's, so what's going on with this particular case? Uh, so Craig Wright is claiming that he has suffered material harm because of the defamation made by Peter McCormick on his podcast, through his tweets, and on other people's podcasts. The material harm that Craig Wright claims to have occurred is that he has become uninvited from academic conferences. He is unable to get papers published because of what Peter McCormick said. And his now he's saying that his reputation has been so damaged that nobody really wants to do business with him from an academic standpoint. Okay. It's not really business, but it's just the way that I'm putting it. He can't get papers published. He's being uninvited from conferences. So in testimony, we get a little bit of a clarification of what uninvited and not being able to get papers published actually means. So I'm going to start in the middle of the thread. By the way, this is at BTC Kershi. That is at BTC K-E-R-S-H-I, BTC Kershi. 
is keeping track of this shit for us. So go follow old BTC Kershey and find out more about what's going on. We start. The defense barrister pushes harder. Quote, you say in your main original statement that serious harm is evidenced by the conferences and papers due to be published? Right. Quote, yes. At the time, I was developing my academic careers, but all invites were withdrawn due to the defamatory lies by McCormick. Wright continues, there are multiple types of publications. The main one is a journal, which may link into conference publications. I produced several papers following this patents after the publications, but several of the organizations talked about the harm to their reputation. Defense, quote, Please look at the statement by Professor DeWarit from UCL. He was a conference organizer for an event you claim you were invited to speak at. He is the tech program chair. He explains they had a rigorous blind review process. Quote, they have a scoring system used by two parties, end quote. The defense barrister explains that Wright submitted a paper. Quote, it was assigned to six peer reviewers, Three who responded were professors in different European countries. All three recommended rejection. The reasons for rejecting the paper? Contribution was marginal. Quality was unacceptable. Technical competence had the lowest possible score of one. Regarding the presentation, they note, quote, the bigger part has been taken from other works by the same author with no citations. That's plagiarism. Another reviewer stated that, quote, the work seems to be similar to a patent and not scientific. Ultimately, the submission was rejected. The barrister then continued to read the statement by the UCL professor, quote, it is extremely unusual to get such low marks. This was a red flag. Reviewer B suspected plagiarism. Wright was advised by email, end quote. The barrister then stated that a copy of this email has been provided to the court by the defense. Observers stated that Wright was squirming at this point and looked deflated. His red socks were showing, not sure this observation is relevant, whatever. And Wright's voice became even more quiet. Defense barrister continues. Can you explain to the court why you cite this as an example of serious harm due to defamation? Quote, I don't accept this rejection. This is his statement. Wright then claimed the reasons for the rejection are incomplete. The defense barrister then said, let's turn to third statement. That paper was not accepted at that conference, but was accepted elsewhere. Right. Quote, I'm not harmed by things I do publish. End quote. Whatever. Defense. Quote, you referred to a conference in Paris, but the organizers can find no paper, no correspondence, no invitation or withdrawal of an invitation from that conference. After we discovered this, then you changed your claim, removing all conferences from it. In quote, Wright had submitted an email allegedly showing that he had submitted a paper to the conference and he was asked about it. Wright said, quote, maybe there were a lot of conferences in, in the same place at the same time and there's been some confusion, in quote. At this, the judge pulled a face. I don't know exactly what that means. I guess it means made a face. I don't know. The defense barrister referred to an email Wright produced showing his rejection for this conference. But the minister points out the organizers dispute sending the correspondence or having any exchanges with you. Defense continues, quote, can we look at the reviews for another paper? 
They say it has a limited value, a rating of one, a rejection, the paper has no strengths, quote, this paper does not address a relevant problem. Do you accept the reviews? Right. No, I don't accept the explanations. Right then starts what my sources describe as a rant. I have 1,600 papers, 2,000 patents, 1,000 papers for workshop conferences, blah, 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 blah. And then he goes on and on and on. So defense barrister says, okay, but none of that is in your case. Defense continues, Dr. Weir doesn't even know who you are, right? Quote, that's an error. Defense, there's no evidence that you were invited to speak at any of the other eight or so conferences referred to. There's no evidence of submissions, no evidence of being uninvited, right? States, quote, I meet with many people in many disciplines from business to applied engineering, end quote. At this, Peter McCormick broke into a smile that he could not stifle. Dr. Weir's statement is going to be read to the court. It says, she claims not to know who Craig Wright is. <laughs> he was never invited to any of the conferences he claims to have been invited to, nor was any paper ever submitted by Wright. She says she is concerned that she's been referred to by Wright in his statement. Quote from Weir's statement, quote, I'm not certain I did not invite Craig Wright to speak at any of the events. Oh, sorry. I'm certain that I did not invite Craig Wright to speak at any of the events. I do not know Craig Wright. I did not review any papers submitted. I did not invite or invite him. The defense barrister then read out another email indicating Wright submitted a paper for another conference. The review response, reject. Score of one, which is the lowest score possible. Technically weak, presentation is weak, the paper is not academic. Reviewer found an identical abstract. This suggests plagiarism, identical abstract. He submitted an identical paper, or he submitted a paper, but the abstract was written by somebody else who had previously already published on that topic. There are five other instances in this thread of him straight up lying. He cannot get papers published. He says that he does, but they're, they're all apparently crap. People are saying they don't, they don't even know him. He has no evidence of any material harm that has been created by Peter McCormick. And it looks to me like he was using Peter McCormick and all the rest of these people as some kind of cover to explain his inability to function at even the nominal level in academia. I, it's just the whole thing is so screwed, it's not even funny. But that's the kind of person that you're dealing with. Don't let his crew of miscreants kind of guide you into the fact, you know, into like believing something along the lines of, oh, he's great, he really does know what he's talking about and he is Satoshi Nakamoto. No, he is not. He is a fraud, he is incompetent, and he's gonna get his ass handed to him. Now, that said, I don't know if he's gonna get his ass handed to him in this court because it's a UK court in a defamation case and the UK courts always somehow or another lend themselves to those people who are claiming that they've been defamed against, but I don't know how you, I don't know how you get past this. He's plagiarized. He's lied about being uninvited to eight conferences. He's lied about having his papers rejected because of 
Peter, what Peter McCormick said. No, he's being rejected because all this shit sucks. So this is going to be, this is going to be one to watch because I get the feeling more evidence like this is going to be spilling out. So let's move on to El Salvador's Bitcoin play. What does the current slump mean for the adoption? Shiraz Jagadi has it for Cointelegraph. It was September 6, 2021, when the Central American nation of El Salvador decided to go ahead and purchase 200 Bitcoin, worth about $10.3 million at the time. The day was hailed as momentous in the history of the crypto market and was met with much fanfare. In fact, many proponents claim that the purchase was just an inkling of what really lay ahead in terms of a global-driven economy or global crypto-driven economy. However, a lot has changed, especially with BTC losing 55% of its value after scaling up to its November all-time high of 69,000. And with Bitcoin's value seemingly in a downward spiral at the moment, many critics, critics have ramped up their criticism of El Salvador and President Nayib Bukele for his decision to keep lapping up more BTC. At this point, the country's coffers now contain a total of 2,301 BTC, which is estimated to be worth a little over $67 million at current prices. In fact, reports suggest that Bukele's gamble on Bitcoin seems to have already resulted in heavy losses equal to the country's upcoming interest payments. Estimates suggest that the ongoing crypto downtrend, which has caused Bitcoin to lose approximately 40% of its value since late March, has deepened El Salvador's cumulative losses and its crypto holdings to about $40 million, nearly equal to the country's next coupon payment of $38.25 million, which is due mid-June. Uh, just fucking don't pay it, dude. It is worth noting that since September of 2021, Bukele and his team have poured in a whopping $105 million towards buying Bitcoin. However, the flagship crypto has dropped 45% since the country's first purchase, cutting down the value of the nation's BTC haul to just $66 million. At press time, El Salvador owes bondholders a cumulative of $382 million in interest, which is to be paid out by the end of this year. To this point, in the month of July alone, the country has a payment worth $183 million due. El Salvador is reportedly in possession of $3.4 billion in its reserves back in April, with Bukele and his team planning on raising another $1 billion using a highly publicized Bitcoin-backed bond. However, the sale of the offering has been postponed multiple times over the past year due to an apparent lack of interest. Lastly, it's worth noting that since early 2021, El Salvador has been trying to lock in a $1.3 billion loan from the International Monetary Fund, an effort that seems to have lost steam following the country's fierce BTC adoption drive. Regardless, the country needs to bolster its finances since the IMF believes that under its current policies, El Salvador's public debt will rise to 96% of GDP within the next 48 months, putting the country on a path of no return. Cointelegraph reached out to Ben Caselin, head of research and strategy at cryptocurrency exchange AAX, for his take on whether El Salvador's move to invest more money in crypto has been successful. He pointed out that the matter should not be looked into too deeply since Bitcoin's volatility today is not too different from where it stood last year, adding, quote, irrespective of market conditions, El Salvador is still able to benefit from remittances processed on the Lightning Network, which are cheaper than conventional money operators like Western Union and MoneyGram. The legal tender play also continues to make it easier for El Salvador to attract foreign investment, and it continues to provide useful infrastructure for unbanked communities, end quote. From a purely price-based standpoint, Kaysen believes it's important to provide ample context 
to investors right now, since every country is currently facing some sort of economic pressure. Not only that, but most capital markets, including the NYSE, NASDAQ, and Dow, have also been on the receiving end of a lot of volatility recently. Quote, at this early stage, it's just too early to tell if it was too soon for El Salvador to hold Bitcoin on its nation, national reserves, he said. A somewhat similar sentiment was echoed by Anatov Trenchdev, co-founder and managing partner for crypto lending platform Nexo. And those are one of the guys that's part of the 30 enemies of Bitcoin list. He told Cointelegraph that short-term volatility is nothing new in the crypto market and was likely factored in by the El Salvadoran government when they decided to go ahead with the purchase, adding, quote, yes, El Salvador is in uncharted waters, but it's far too early for severe skepticism. There's a lot more potential to uncover in the system, and it seems Bukele's administration has the right idea, namely sailing on ahead so that others can learn and benefit from this experience, end quote. Lior Yaff, co-founder of blockchain software development firm Jaluida, <laughs> explained to Cointelegraph that in 2001, the government of El Salvador gave up control of its monetary policy by making the United States dollar legal tender, thus effectively putting the country's monetary policy in the hands of the United States Federal Reserve Bank. He added, quote, the transition to Bitcoin has been a strategic move to position El Salvador as a local tech hub and lift it out of poverty. As such, it should be viewed as a long-term play and should not be judged on short-term price fluctuations. End quote. When talk of Bitcoin's volatility taking center stage in recent weeks, it is worth delving into the question of whether El Salvador's aforementioned losses dissuade other countries from adopting crypto's legal tender in the future. Trenchev believes that with the right mindset, every country can benefit from one of Bitcoin's main features, a store of value in the face of severe inflation. He added that while the current bear market is bad, its effects can be seen across numerous sectors, including stocks, ETFs, commodities, and indices, not just crypto. Not only that, in his view, the adoption of BTC is not just a profit-taking measure, but rather an acceptance of a digital currency's core underlying qualities. Quote, El Salvador's example is an indication that the market tumult is, for the time being, not putting off BTC's adoption as legal tender. Rather, it's a stress test, and if El Salvador pulls through it, crypto adoption as legal tender could be in for its heyday, Trenchev said. Adam Boalt, CEO of EarthFundDAO, a decentralized crowdfunding platform, told Cointelegraph that despite the recent dip in bad press, we're on course for mass adoption. In his view, once crypto establishes its use beyond just an improved version of fiat, we will continue to see widespread adoption and look back on El Salvador as being ahead of the curve. Jesse Chan, chief of staff at Parallel Chain Lab, the firm behind public-private blockchain ecosystem Parallel Chain, by God, believes that at this point in time, Bitcoin has become an unstoppable force that no country can afford to ignore, adding, quote, El Salvador has shown us what life can be like with mass adoption of crypto, buying a cup of coffee, paying your phone bill. It is from the most trivial events that we discover the real transformation. So there you go. People bagging on El Salvador and everything else, and yet their own portfolios, no matter what is represented in those portfolios, are losing their ass. Should I point and laugh at everybody six months now about how much they paid for their house when they are underwater by 50%? Because I think that's what's going to happen. We're going to have another housing crash, 
And it's going to be worse than 2008. I, I just can't wrap my head around people going, oh, it won't be so bad. Oh, yes, it will. Yes, it will. So what do I do? Do I not go knock on people's doors and just like do a Nelson on them and go, ha, ha, is that what I do? Do I look at you and say, yeah, your investment in, you know, I, I know you hold a lot of stocks in the Dow. Uh, how's that feeling, bub? Everybody's getting hammered. Everything is getting hammered. Everything is in risk off mode. Everybody wants to move to cash, even though honestly, that's probably the most riskiest thing that you can do at this point. Buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, and that'll do it for the morning roundup. Got a joke for you. Dad says jokes. After you die, the last part of your body to stop working are your pupils because they dilate. If you want to support the show, please use Podcasting 2.0. Just go find a Podcasting 2.0 app, look for Bitcoin and in that library, fill up the Lightning Wallet that's associated with that Podcasting 2.0 app because it wouldn't be Podcasting 2.0 if it didn't come with a wallet. And then you can stream me Satoshis directly to my Lightning node while you're listening to this. And you can even give me a boost on places that you think that I might've said something, I don't know, intelligent or something that may have made you groan. I don't know, whatever it is, you can do that. But if you don't, I understand. That's why I have a patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast, all one word. And there you can support me in dirty, nasty, icky fiat, which at the end of every month gets automatically sent to strike and is 100% turned into, you guessed it, Bitcoin. With that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.